Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPN Show. Recorded both in Los Angeles and New York City. We're just, you know, here to hang out. Have a good time. All right. I'll talk to y'all after a while. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here. Thank you so much for listening to the LPN Show. We really appreciate you. Today, I am honored to have with me a man that I have known for years. He is incredibly sweet. I actually got to MC for him while he headlined the Skyline Comedy Club probably <laughs> 16 to 17 years ago. Wow. He is one of the nicest men I have ever met <laughs> in this world of arts and entertainment. You may know him from his Dodge Hemi commercials, uh, from Harold and Kumar from Last Comic Standing. The list goes on and on. Also, check out John and Heffron, the podcast, and also check out Countryish, a kick-ass podcast hosted by my guest, John Reap. Wow, you nailed it, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to see you, and I appreciate (laughs) that. Um, I do want to, I got to mention this, though. Whenever someone says he's the nicest guy, Sometimes I get worried that that's code for buddy's not funny. See, that is that is the mind of a comedian. Being nice in my book means that I don't want to actively kill you. So that's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> right. sometimes you hang out with comedians and you just think, well, I am exhausted after yeah. hearing them speak because it's all just so much yeah. about comedy. But you, and this is why I love your podcast, Country-ish, you have such a great way of presenting uh, a different style of uh, of comedy and a style that I wish we could get back to in this country, which is just <laughs> cool, laid back. You're just a dude. I, I, I'm and, just uh, that's what I love goes, about you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate all that, man. That's very kind of you. I, uh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm happy, go lucky, goofball, silly, fun. You know, and that was what was so impressive with you. So when I met you at the Skyline Comedy Club, it's in Appleton, Wisconsin. We were hanging out at the Comedy Condo together, which is a place full of more cum than a Berlin brothel. It is unbelievable. As a matter of fact, we were both told not to eat any of the condiments because there was a comedian named John Fox who has subsequently been banned from comedy. He might be dead, but evidently a joke that he would play would be 
coming in the mayonnaise or the ketchup or again any condiment. <laughs> so we we, yeah. we went to the we went to the uh, we went to the comedy studio there the the little uh, house that they put us up in and immediately we're like don't touch the condiments. John Fox yeah. comes in them and we're like and I'm I was maybe six months into doing comedy I was emceeing and I'm like well I guess this is the big time. <laughs> <laughs> that is a hundred percent true. I learned it from John Fox himself. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, he's passed away, uh, but he did. Uh, for one weekend, I was working with him, had to stay with him in a condo in Myrtle Beach. Oh, God. And it was, I mean, I, it was miserable, dude. I mean, funny dude. Sure. But he was going through some stuff, and um, he, he was like, I remember one day I came back from doing press. It was like uh, Friday morning. I came back from doing radio or something. So, and for those that don't realize, when he says come back from doing press, it doesn't mean, oh, that must be 5 p.m. when he got home after a hard day of press. No, he probably got back to the studio at 7 a.m. because press is 4.30 in the freaking morning for comedy clubs. Oh, God, we get up at that. Yeah. Before COVID, you know, we would get up at like 4.35, 6, oh. and you go out and do like three or four different radio stations and you come back to your hotel room or condo around 11 30 noon and then you take the nap then you do comedy at night so i came back after doing all this press and john fox was there and he was already he had already killed like 12 beers oh my god and he was depressed and he's like dude uh can you take me to a bar i'm out of beer i'm like holy shit this guy was on a downward spiral but he taught and he me had to perform that night yeah how'd that go not uh, uh he just phoned it in yeah. he got up there dude it was not like hey how you doing thanks for coming he walked up there and just looked over the crowd and just went into his, his first joke the and same just, bit and was the joke about three firemen fucking yes. in the the smoke inhalation bit he john fox and we're not just gonna sit here and dump on no, the deceased yeah. john fox but yeah, i've not he even was, got to the ice tray of the coming in the ice trays yet yeah he was just one of those comedians <laughs> that did the same thing for 25 years and then again mm -hmm. uh had his own demons but i'm sorry go on no no he taught me himself he's the one who told me like Hey, you want to throw away all these condiments that were here left over because people are notorious. And he goes, when I say people, I mean, I, it's me. I'm the one who started this thing. Oh. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, it's, you know, just especially if you didn't like the comedian who you knew was coming in here the week after you. Um, but yeah, so the ice trays, you have to get rid of all the ice. Oh. You have to get rid of definitely the mayonnaise, anything that you could open and put in there. But, you know, yeah, we uh, I, I luckily haven't stayed in too many condos. That was 16 <laughs> years ago that we met. I think so. Wow. Yeah, probably 2004. Maybe it was even longer. I mean, I love it up there. I mean, that was a fun Skyline's a great club. They're still there. Skyline is a great club. And if you have uh, learned nothing thus far, except for the fact, throw away all condiments. Yeah. At yeah. any comedy condo, if there's something in the freezer, let it be. That's why those have a life of their own. Never touch anything in a comedy condo unless you are absolutely forced to. <laughs> so we met at the Skyline Comedy Club, and I was emceeing, and every show was different than the last for me because I still had no idea who I was. So sometimes I was nice on 
stage. And then sometimes I was like, I want to be Bill Hicks and Lenny Bruce, not realizing <laughs> that those people had jokes and uh, and didn't mind being hated. Oh, that's tough. You would go on stage. And obviously, again, as people can probably hear from the accent from John, you from Hickory, uh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. You are uh, a, a Southern boy. And you would yes. go on stage. People knew you at this point from the that thing got a Hemi, the Dodge mm. commercials, which were fantastic and lucrative. And you would start your routine by straight up a five minute dance routine that was so <laughs> unbelievably uh, exhausting to yes. watch because you would like you busted your you were sweating within five minutes. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's why he's the headliner, because he is putting like way too much work into this. I thought you just went up there and sounded like a jackass for 10 minutes. I was like, no, no, he's actually doing a whole performance. And it was so eye opening to realize yeah. how you. Uh, engage a crowd because at that point the Skyline Comedy Club it's not dinky it's a good 300 seater Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point I was still just like how do I talk to 300 people and watching you was like shit the energy the vibe the control of the room you had that and you and obviously you haven't let that go I well the older I get the harder it is to bring it you know but yes I always liked for whatever reason, I gravitated towards people like Brian Regan to me is one of the funniest people on earth and he's very physical uh, and people who aren't afraid to make an ass themselves or be humble and goofball-y. I always like that. Steve Martin's one of my favorites because the sophisticated stupid, the guy was a philosopher, but he put an arrow through his head and, you know, all kinds of randoms. I like that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and when I was younger, I was energetic. I had the energy and what you're talking about. Yes. I used to be, I used to call myself the Hickory dance machine, uh, (laughs) before I was the Hemi guy, people in North Carolina (laughs) knew me as the Hickory dance machine. And that was like one of the first things I did as a standup that just sort of people's like, what the, and the first time I did, so I used to make fun of dancing by dancing. Yes. And the joke was you'd see people out there dancing, you know, if you go to a club and there's guys that take themselves way too seriously and they're making the mean face. I'm like, we're all, we're all silly human beings out here making asses of ourselves. We're right. trying to be cool about this. And so I would do like a shovel, a rake, a mop. I had these abstract dances. My favorite one was called any guy washing women's laundry dance from the 1800s. <laughs> and it was very abstract. So the guy was in a washboard like this. He's on the right. washboard and he'd wring it out and he'd, he'd dry it off like that. He'd put it on the thing and he'd sniff the panties and look around and then he'd put them on, you know? So I was very, that was my thing before the commercials. Right. And I thought like, well, that's catching on. I'll do a little bit in the beginning. And I would do like a big closer. That would be the closer. I would do yeah. like three at the end. Um, but I don't, I can't, I've retired. I've since retired the dancing. Routine well, you know I'm what? Old. That's good, man. It's you age yourself out of dancing. I get it. I never even started. I aged out at nine years old. I was like, I think I'm good. Maybe some moshing until I got too large and I was hurting all my friends and I couldn't even do that. <laughs> right. But the juxtaposition of you with this Southern accent, uh, this kind of, uh, right. The more like free loving, like free willing, I'm willing not to go out there and dance, you know, and I know you performed in front of like more conservative country audiences. I mean, the Skyline Comedy Club, it's a pretty traditional audience base. You know, that kind of like breaking of a stereotype just to 
go out yeah. of the gates and be like, you all think I'm a redneck. That might be partially true, but, but. I could also do all of this. So check your uh, your um, theories of who I am at the door right. and just to bust it open and, and let people see like I am a wild, crazy man like Steve yes, Martin. Right. And then from there, you can really seed all of the great stories that you tell about your family. Because one of the things that I love about good stand-up is that it has to come from the heart. It has to come from their truth. And you have such great material about your father. You have some of the funniest dad material because <laughs> the man, I hope you pay him. I hope he gets a paycheck. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, he does. Well, I'm taking care of him now. I mean, my whole career, I mean, not my whole career, but like, so, so it started off with like the dancing stuff and being goofball and you're right. Uh, it is a, 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 against the stereotype kind of thing. Totally. Cause you, you hear the accent and you think, Oh, he's going to go up there and talk about Willie Nelson and growing up in a barn and whatever. Exactly. And here I am busting out some of the, uh, the sweetest breakdance moves you've ever seen. I used to be a breakdancer. Exactly. Everyone's like, I, I bet you one of the punchlines will be, and that's one of the cows I didn't fuck. And then everyone right, goes right, crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. To, I'm sorry, interrupted. You used to be a breakdancer. Oh, when I was a kid. Yeah. I'm, I'm 49 years old. Ooh, so, good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I get a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> when, but when breakdancing was cool, like in the eighties, I was probably like in the seventh or eighth grade, you yeah. know? So, you know, growing up in the small town, uh, we, we, we watched MTV. We had cable. We watched stuff on MTV. We saw what was popular. We loved, I love that music. I love it's before I, I knew I was supposed to be a redneck or something, right. I guess I like, well, this is what I like. And me and my brother, we formed our own breaking group called the breaking brothers. And, you know, we, we, I, I loved it. I was, that was my thing. So awesome. I love dancing in front of a bunch of rednecks to something that they wouldn't normally see. Um, because they, they end up going like, well, that was pretty cool. I kind of like that idiot. And I'll tell you one thing, my uh, co-host of last podcast on the left, Marcus Parks, he got married. His wife is uh, from Mexico and his family is from Texas. You get a Texan dancing. They will not stop. You have oh. to shut the lights down. You have to. Everyone has to go home and a Texan will still be moving. People don't <laughs> fully understand the ways of a of a good boot scoot shuffle. Yeah. Oh, that line dance is a whole nother breed of people. <laughs> that scares me. I've walked into big, uh, big, uh, you know, like saloon type Texas bars, which, you know, like Gillies. Yeah. from 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 uh, uh, urban cowboy and it's gigantic it's like a mall of these people and they're all line dancing together that intimidates me i don't even attempt that but uh i used to, the first time i did the dance routine and this is how i knew it was going to work um i went up it was like a it was an urban night yeah. it was an all black crowd and the guy who was supposed to feature did not show up and I was only supposed to MC. And the manager was like, John, I need you to go up there and do another, do like, can you do 30 minutes? I'm like, oh, and I'd never put 30 together. I'd only done like 10 here, seven sure. here, 20, maybe 20 here, but I'd never done 30. So I was like scrambling. I was like, all right, look, every time I say hit it, just play music. And he go, all right. And so I went up there and, and I started dancing immediately. Yeah. And, and there is nothing funnier to an all black audience than a white hillbilly dance. Absolutely. Especially <laughs> to like hip hop music. And, and fairly well, dare and I say. good at it. Right. <laughs> and so I started off doing that. And then I would try to get into my routine, which, you know, at the time I wasn't that, that skilled at, but yeah. I was 
So I couldn't follow the dancing. So I started dancing and I'd try comedy and be like, uh, we need you to dance again. And I just say, hit it, Paul. And I'd start dancing again, you know, kind of like an evening at the Apollo type deal. Well, but you know, but, but that that's is, how I knew it was going to work. That is such a fantastic in to entertainment. The, the dancing, you know, the ability to do that. It's funny that you say you didn't have the bits to follow up what you yeah. were able to do with, the, uh, you know, with your physical being. When did you find that your bits and your physical presence were able to kind of marry uh, themselves where you're like, oh, thank God. Technically, I don't have to dance anymore. I can just tell stories. I can save my legs, my hips, my knees. I can save yes. my whole body and I don't have to be physically exhausted because in stand up. You can do three shows a night easy. Mm, right. Well, I was not easy. That's, it's that's, very hard, but they'll make you do three yeah, shows a you'll night. They'll make you do it, and then you'll be worn out by the end. You're right. I um I think it was I had a bit. I, I, I like football, I like sports, and I used to make fun of mascots yep. and the and the sound effects that you would hear at games. Um, and I had this bit, and it was kind of physical. And then I started adding things to it that weren't physical, like little throwaway tags here and there. And those were getting almost as big laughs as what I was doing before. And I, and I started playing with that. And then I got into storytelling with about my dad. Yeah. And I thought like, well, these crazy things have happened in my life. I'm, I'm not really good at telling stories. I'm not really good at doing set up joke really. And I thought, well, let me just at least try the story out on an open mic, you know, you know, when you're starting out and it, and it would work and it would build. And, and the more you do it, the more you add things. And I think it was the 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 dad stories is what got me out of having to dance every time. Yeah. <laughs> what was your parents reaction to that? Was your dad like, I uh, really wish you didn't bring up the fact I usually wear tidy whities and uh, yeah. or nothing around the house. Um, <laughs> what were your parents reactions when they saw you and you're like, oh, I see you haven't been our child. You've been a detective. Uh, right. You've been a journalist <laughs> recording everything we've done yeah well my dad so my dad was a funny one he was a class clown he was a funny guy so he was excited that i was doing comedy i don't think he thought it was going to be a career i thought he thought it'd be a phase right i didn't think it would either but i remember him telling his friends once he goes because i have a brother and he said yeah i got two boys uh one of them's a comedian and he's a ball to be around and my other son has a job like he was belittling the fact that this was not a job, but also making fun of my brother for not being funny. So it was, he, he slammed both of us at the same That's time. Great. But I don't think he thought this was going to be a career path. So he didn't really, he, I didn't get much discouragement for him from them until I did one joke about my uncle. And then he asked me to pull that one. What was that joke? So I used to work at a Goodyear changing tires and oil, um, with my uncle my, and this is true. My dad was a manager of a good year. Oh, and for two summers before I went off to college, just before I did stand up. Yeah. He wanted me and my brother to work out in the shop to learn about cars and just to be closer to us before he went off to college yeah, or whatever. Sure. And my uncle worked in the shop and my uncle, not by blood, but by marriage, okay. um, like an idiot savant, but just <laughs> just heavy on the idiot side of that. You know, no, I mean? you know, he's a moron. As soon as he's like, uncle, not by blood. Uh, he yeah. is, he, my, I don't know how he is in the family, but he is in the family. No yes. biological connection. <laughs> right. A hundred percent. He's yeah, he's he's a lug nut. I remember him. <laughs> He was trying to teach, but he knew brakes, he knew cars, but nothing else, you know? Yeah. He was trying to teach me how to change brakes. 
And he's a big smoker. He's always smoking cigarettes, which I always found weird at a at an auto parts where there's a lot of diesel fuel yeah. and carous gas. Yeah, but it he seems was, like he might be on that uh, that list of people who die by their own uh, stupidity. <laughs> yeah, but I remember him doing this, and this is one of the first jokes that I told on stage that was a, get a big laugh. Um, he was trying to teach me how to change brakes. He had a cigarette in his mouth. Now, inside of these old brakes and these old brake drums, there was a lot of asbestos dust that would collect in there, right? Sure. So he's pulling off this brake drum, cigarette in mouth, asbestos flies out everywhere. Oh and he looked God. at me and he wasn't trying to be funny. And he said, back up, that shit will give you cancer. <laughs> like the asbestos <laughs> as he's smoking a cigarette and he did not see the irony in it. He wasn't trying to be funny. Right. And I just started laughing and, and he didn't know what I was laughing. at. So I took that to the stage and I told that joke and I called him an idiot savant, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and my dad was like, so your mom's kind of not happy about that joke. Can you not? Cause he, I did it on TV. I did it on a, a CMT um comedy thing that they oh, did and i told hilarious. that joke and, and it got back to them and uh so i said was well, he I'll upset because if i'm the uncle he can't be upset about it he's the more he's the one who did it no, dad wasn't upset dad was making the phone call on 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 behalf of of course yeah and i said dad you could you could never tell me what to do in terms of my comedy career never all right no one can um but i will give you one free pass you can use it now or you can use it later because there's a lot of stories coming about you later. <laughs> and he said, I'll go ahead and use it now. And then so now since then, that's amazing. Tried to tell me what I can and cannot say about him or anybody. And thank God, because I've got like tons of stories about my dad. You know, he must be immensely proud of you. And I'm sure, uh, you know, hear, hearing your kid like kind of rib you gently, not rib, that sounds disgusting, but hearing <laughs> your kid kind of make fun of you a little bit, but you never do it with a mean spirit and everything is always, uh, man, it's just endlessly funny because, of course, everyone can extrapolate with their own experience with their mm. own father because, believe it or not, it seems like most dads are a little bit batshit insane. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, there's a lot of that goofball dad syndrome, and it's yeah. because it's ha it happens. Yeah. Uh, but when you're a kid, you don't really notice it 100%. You just think, well, that guy's a genius. Like my dad almost died <laughs> trying to fix a hole in the bottom of our swimming pool by wearing a backpack full of rocks and trying to breathe through a garden hose. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't thinking that, you know, I could have just drained the water out and patched it up. There's and so many other ways. <laughs> yeah. And it got wow. down there and the water hose collapsed and it was a whole story. But the, all of that weird, crazy shit happens with, right. you know, he's just trying to do a quick fix for a problem. But of course. So yeah. you when did you get out? 
I would assume you moved to Los Angeles. Uh, and of course, that's where you landed a massive ad campaign. And people don't really realize, especially back then, this is the early aughts, early 2000s. If you get a national ad, there's no YouTube. There's no, I mean, maybe there's MySpace where people are, you know, showing pictures of their balls or whatever the hell. But it just was not what it is now. So for right. you to get that national ad and for you to sort of be known as the Dodge Hemi guy uh, in really funny ads and they were character driven ads, which obviously were reflective of who you are as a person, but certainly not indicative. Mm. How was that experience for you being sort of known like now you're starting to headline? Yep. because of these ads mm -hmm. and i know you have to incorporate them into your act because people want to hear you say that thing got a hemi which yeah. must have fucking just been like i'm gonna go slam some of the cum mayonnaise because i'd rather do that than have to say that thing got a hemi yeah anymore. how did you wrap that but yeah you rolled with it how did yeah. that how did that experience how did you get that uh commercial and that how did you get that big boom because that was really the beginning for my understanding mm -hmm. uh, to sort of the national exposure and then of, co of course last comic standing this that and the other but how was that experience how did you end up uh, getting there so i was uh touring all over the country i was invited to the comedy arts the the montreal just for laughs awesome. festival yeah i had done well on a couple of random uh showcases and other festivals across the country um moved to los angeles had some had some friends already in the business uh started doing college gigs nice. uh college a college agent led me to a commercial agent uh and the commercial agent you know all they do is send you on auditions yep. for commercials and i didn't you know the first 20 auditions i didn't know what i was doing um, I went, I took a, a commercial acting class intensive. I was taking other acting classes out there. Yeah. I was a theater major in college, but not because I was a theater person. I was just trying to get any degree yeah. and a couple other classes I could get that too. So I, so I had some of this in me anyway. Right. Um, and so I guess the Dodge commercial was probably like the 20th or 30th that I had auditioned. I had went on and it was, I mean, my agent did call me and say, Hey, uh, Dodge commercial audition today. They're looking for white trash. <laughs> like I remember him saying white trash and I'm like, yeah, okay, I know, I know what that is. Commercial and, breakdowns are so specific and so brutal. It's like, yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a thick skin yes, you it's like, you, and you learn quickly what other people think you are exactly uh, and I, so you go I, I, you've probably been on many of these where you go to a uh, a call area uh, for these auditions and they're doing other commercials in the same building yeah uh, but you see like oh there's the rednecks over here there's the hot model chicks yep. over here there's the black thuggy guys over here. You got all these different stereotypes. Exactly. And they don't care what you think about it. It's like, well, this is what we're looking for. Well, that's the thing with, you know, this is why, well, this is what I'm going to say as an excuse to as why I never got cast in anything. I'm so damn tall that you don't have like the audience. If the, if you have 30 seconds in a commercial and the audience is spending five seconds, be like, why the fuck is that guy so tall? <laughs> They've just lost five seconds of content that they need to be driving into your dome. So it's it's superficial. I know that's not breaking any like big news yeah. here, but commercials are so unbelievably superficial and you don't yeah. fully realize how they perceive you until you get the breakdown for yeah. white trash. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, ah, I know what this is. I, you know, I still have my Goodyear outfit. I, I took that with me. 
Uh, I put dip in my mouth and because I, I was after taking these classes, uh, they said, well, go down there as the thing, sure. like whatever it is. Go ahead and dress that way so they don't have to imagine you that way. And I've also heard go in there and overact it, uh, overact it. And then okay. if they don't like it, they'll tell you to come down a notch. But if you don't bring the energy the first time, then then they, they, they can imagine it going bigger. So go sure. big. OK, like, that's this is what I was told. Yeah. And so I went in there and this is not a lie. This is honestly what I did. I remember reading the script. Um, if you want to call it a script, it was one piece of paper. Right. You know with one line on it exactly um, and it just said that thing got a hemi and in my head i'm trying to practice how i'm going to say it uh other people were asking me what is that word like they didn't other actors are like what is that hemi i don't know what that word is like they didn't know it was a sh- the, hem- the word hemi was short for the word hemispherical oh i didn't know that okay yeah, it's it's the type of engine, a hemispherical engine. Uh, apparently, when the spark plugs ignite, this type, kind of thing, it, you get a bigger explosion inside. Of, it, you go faster. I don't know. Uh, I knew what it was because I worked at a Goodyear for yeah. two summers. And and I'm wearing the Goodyear outfit. Like, no kidding. It was a blue collar type shirt. Had had the name John on it right here. That's great. And so I thought, like, in the breakdown of the uh, commercial audition, it said, that I would be in a beat up muscle car with another redneck dude. Yeah. And next to us, a guy in a Dodge Ram truck would pull up with the Hemi engine in it. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, if I'm in a beat up muscle car, I'll probably have my elbows sticking out the window. Right. And I'm thinking maybe I'll vibrate a little bit because it's a muscle car. So I said, <laughs> I used to break dance. So I know how to make my body, my whole body vibrate. Right. And, and I just went in there. In the audition, there's one aluminum chair. There's casting directors, ad agency people. I walk in. I sit down in this chair. I stick my elbow out, and I start vibrating, and they just start laughing and because and no one had told me to do anything. Like right. I lit, they thought I was a crazy person. I just walked yeah. in there, sat down, and started vibrating with my elbows sticking out. <laughs> and they just started laughing, and some guy goes, just do the line, John. And I just go, I thank God to hear me. And I remember them laughing and and then like writing notes. And I think it's because like anybody can say that thing got a hammy. That's four words. Anybody can say it. Yeah. But what they, what they really want is like, who can bring a little joy? Who can bring a little humor to this? And if you walk in there and you make these casting directors laugh, right. If especially if it's not a serious thing, they'll go like, all right, let's do another one. We'll get him back in here. And then before you know, I did like two other auditions and I got the part and I did not know that it would lead to what it what it led to. I really thought it would be one commercial and it would be over with because I didn't think anyone would know what a hammy is. Right. Um, And and that, you know, and that is just such great. um, That's great advice. And it's a great story just to remind anyone who wants to get into uh, the arts there yeah. is no such thing as a small audition. I mean, mm-hmm. you're right. That thing got a Hemi. It's four words. And you brought it into a character that they were able to visualize. And then how many ads did I feel like you were in five different ad campaigns? Well, we ended it. up doing six of them. Six ad campaigns. That's amazing. Two of them never aired, but they the, the four big ones were uh, the, the, it turned into a campaign that they didn't even want it to. Like in their brains, it was only going to be one commercial, Yeah, but it, it sold so many trucks. And I learned all this stuff later through other people who worked at Dodge and the ad agency and doing all these personal events. Um, 
they were like, well, it sells trucks. And there, there was some breakdown or statistic that someone told me where in terms of automotive commercials, it sold more of the product than any other auto commercial in the history of automotive commercials. Dude, that's incredible. And um, and that's why they didn't they didn't know what they got. And I didn't know what it I didn't know it'd be successful either. But they just kept making them. Had they had they been smart, they would have locked me down to a long term contract. But they didn't know what they what it was going to be. Yeah. So it was one commercial. That's over. Then the next. Then they call again. They go like, we're going to do another one. And we thought that would be the end. That went on. Three times. That's awesome. And then finally on the fourth one, they said, all right, we're going to do more of these. Go ahead and let's lock him down. But so what it's great. That is absolutely awesome. I want to talk about your acting and stuff after that, because I know it, I'm looking at the poster of Eastbound and Down that's behind you. Harold and Kumar escape from Guantanamo Bay. Like you got a <laughs> full on movie career again from these from this ad experience. When it comes to like making a living in this industry we think about like flow with progressive that woman who does all the sprint commercials like that is a whole side to the entertainment industry that maybe some people want to scoff at it or whatever but there is no joke and there's nothing to scoff at when you're making a full freaking living uh, in in the commercial realm you can actually and nowadays not to sound too much like sandra bullock from demolition man some of these commercials are pretty good shows (laughs) <laughs> that's funny that's a good one man i forgot that that part in that movie Demolition where they talk about man. the hot dog yeah. song she's like this is one of my favorite songs and it's like a song for hot dogs we're yeah. getting there but, oh that's uh, great that is that is phenomenal so with the so you have the ad uh, experience now your stand-up was also so you're starting to tour and you're starting to headline all <laughs> over the country at this point yeah i was using the dodge Hemi guy as a reason to get people into the club because no one knew the name John Reap. Right. Uh, but they knew the funny Hemi guy thing or whatever. So I would tell clubs, put, you know, just add Hemi, Hemi guy, guy in there. Yeah. And um, and so that alone would get like NASCAR people, truck people in there on cur- curiosity alone. Yeah. Did you like the audience? You know, it's interesting. I um, I watched this uh, interview or this documentary on Merle Haggard. And yeah. Merle Haggard was really an outlaw in his own right. But then he came up with Okie from Muskogee and uh, everyone, his audience changed. A lot of people didn't get the irony in the song. And a lot of people that st- started showing up at his concerts were a little bit more conservative than he, he was. He was talking about it. And he said, you know what? I perform for the audience that shows up. I don't know. Right. Uh, but how did you feel about your audience? And, and did you... Like, because you know, one of the most important things in business is knowing your audience. No one's going to mm-hmm. get 100% of the people 100% of the time. But if you yeah. can get 2% of the people 100% of the time, you got a career. Did you, <laughs> did you like, did you like the audience that, um, that the Dodge commercials provided you? Uh, n- uh, yes and no. I've had a love hate relationship with that my whole career. Yeah. I have never, I mean, had I went 100% one way, I may have been lumped in with, and this it would have been fine, I guess. The blue collar guys, you sure. know, um, I feel like if I would just let myself go all the way one way, yes, then it may have been, I may have skyrocketed. It would have been uh, an easier thing for people to glob onto, like, oh, yes. he's that. That's it's binary my guy. thinking. It's simplistic. It's like, yeah. yes, okay. 
but I've never been that. And I'm, that's not me. So I've always like my first comedy special after winning last comic was called Metro Jethro. Yeah. Cause I want people to know <laughs> I'm both of these things at the same time. That's why my podcast is country ish. Right. I'm not a hundred percent country. I got some of that in me, but I'm also love break dancing. Exactly. I love, I love sushi. Um, so it's both of these worlds. So when I see guys that would come in who only cared about the Hemi thing, Mm -hmm. I was happy they were in there, but I didn't always like that. They didn't know the other side or didn't uh, appreciate or understand it. And I, sometimes you would feel the, the, the need to be cleaner than what you want to be. And I was never that necessarily dirty. No, I've got Dick, dick stories you know i've got a coming in the mayonnaise jar stories yeah yeah. we all do of course uh, i mean at the comedy store in los angeles i mean i've been through all of it i was a paid regular out there checking the door i mean i've been through it all yeah so when i was so when you say with those people coming in it was like i was happy and and nerve like they got on my nerves sometimes because yeah. all they all car guys they're a different breed of human being, man. Yeah. Like a football guy can appreciate baseball and appreciate right. basketball. Yeah. A car guy only gives a shit about cars. Right. And if you venture off of it, they go, oh, that's weird. You know, so yep. it's a little, it's hard to keep them yeah. unless you, that's so, all you do. I mean, it sounds like to some degree, and again, this is thinking about the binary world that was the early aughts. It's more fractured now again, because of all the different, you know, platforms. And I truly believe if you can get uh, a million people that support you and that's your audience, you never need any, yeah. you don't need to add any more people. Hell, 500,000, 20,000. Hell, yeah. you can make a living. Um, did you feel like you were sort of, playing both sides did you feel like you were kind of getting like did your management be like can you just go say that you're pro-war say that you love bush say that you're the most conservative guy in (laughs) the world can you please just lean the hell in because you look at someone like larry the cable guy larry the cable guy i think people know now but that's a character that this man played i forget his name uh mr Dan, dan whitney dan whitney it was his final character he did a bevy of other characters and dan whitney himself is a an impressionist theater nerd, <laughs> and he he was a vegan for crying out loud uh, before yeah, Larry the had... Cable Guy became so popular, and then mm-hmm. he really leaned in. But that's not freaking easy to do if that's not your heart. Yeah, that's that's true, that's true. Well, I think I, I talked to Larry the Cable. He was on one of my uh, 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 episodes of Country Ish. I I did one of his. Uh, I did his. Uh, uh, special for CMT called Larry the Cable Guy's Hula Palooza. I've worked <laughs> with him. I know him. Nice guy. Yeah. Uh, funny dude. He's got a great sense of humor. Uh, but he is a little bit. I, and I don't know which happened first. Did does Dan turn into Larry over the years? Right. Did they slowly start to bleed into each other because he seems he seems a little bit more like Larry, the cable guy than the old Dan Whitney. If you look up old Dan Whitney, there's video of him doing Caroline's in New York where he's wearing pleated acid wash pants with a braided belt and a tucked in polo shirt. And he's got a little curly mullet and he's doing, he's just doing jokes. He was just joke, just a joke, joke, joke guy. Right. Um, And then he, and he did the character and then, but now he seems to be more like that character than, you know what I mean? Like, I think those worlds started to bleed into each other. Exactly. A little bit. Is the tail wagging the dog? 
Did, right. did the social but construct, never, did everyone everyone projecting Larry the Cable Guy onto him just yeah. be like, for him, he's like, you know, it's just much easier if I just yeah. stay this guy. <laughs> I seem right. to be making money. Fuck right. you, Dan Whitney. You're dead. Right. Right. I think it's possible. Yeah. And I never went 100% one way just because I, I don't... I, I, my problem is I like to make everybody happy and I know that's impossible. Right. But if, if there's a lot, if I, if I'm playing to a room of 300 people, 400 people, whatever it is, I want all of them to have a good time. Right. And if I, I know if I tell them, you know, I feel this way about a certain issue that's political, if I get into politics, right. Then I know I'm going to burn half of them. Right. And right. which is fine. A lot of guys do that and they, they find that audience and that's what they do. And I love watching those guys. Sure. But for me, I know that I'm not educated enough. I know I know enough about me to know that I don't know shit. Right. And yeah. so I don't have an informed opinion enough to give you my take on something because I would feel bad if I found out later I was wrong. Sure. You know, and so of course, I, when it when it comes to that, I'm with you because uh, I love politics. I do a political podcast. Uh, you know, I've been talking my degree is political science, but when it comes to like stand up and especially, you know, where I was at then where the audience doesn't know me from Adam, I am just for all intents and purposes, a talking fucking lamp, specifically if you're an <laughs> MC or a feature, you're just up there as uh, what they would call in professional wrestling complimentary talent. Don't mm -hmm. fuck it up for the headliner, please. Make oh, yeah. sure the audience stays. We just got to make this thing uh, an hour and 30 minutes. So we sell fucking booze. Right. But there is something about um, there is something about trying to talk about there, it. There's something about shoving something down an audience's throat, unbeknownst to them, that yeah. I found to be extremely not rewarding. You know, if you're Bill Maher or if you're Dennis Miller, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you got your conservative audience, you got your liberal audience. Those people are going to you. They know what to expect. But there was something for me where it's like. At some point, I'm like, they don't need to hear 22-year-old Ben Kissel's thoughts on fucking the war right now. Or yeah. like, they don't know. They don't because who the hell am I? So it becomes a little bit uh, political comedy can be absolutely fantastic. But I think yeah. it can also it, I think it can also shut down the audience a little bit. You're 100 percent right. Um, it's hard to do. It's hard to get an audience. It's hard to start off. Yes. I think it's hard to start off that way because just what you said, the only stage time you're going to get is for some other headliners audience. Yes. And so when you walk in there and, and they're not there, you, you can tell that they're not going to agree with all of everything that I'm going to say. It's hard to grow as a comic with that point of view. Yeah. But I think today it might be a little easier because of social media. Well, there are people who are getting who are getting famous just for doing videos and then they find their audience. Then they go to the stage. That's a you know, that's such a great point, John. And uh, when it comes to when it comes to headliners, that's another thing. Speaking of John's John Fox, if you piss John Fox off, he'll take a dump in the mustard. I'm just joking. I'm not <laughs> sure if he'll do that, but he probably would. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When it comes to social media, you mentioned how people get an audience on social media and then go 
to the stage. For mm-hmm. us, we got a uh, we got an audience. We, specifically for me, with last podcast on the left, we got our audience through our podcast. I don't give a fuck about social media, but the social media numbers they're okay, whatever. But it grew from the success of the art at first. And I know with you as well, starting with stand up, your success didn't come from the internet. You start in the grassroots. You start yeah. on the ground, and then the social media shit comes next or whatever. But I firmly believe. You need to get the grassroots first and the social media should follow as opposed to the inverse. Because if you're famous on fucking Twitter for being a snarky asshole, you do that shit on stage in a stand-up show and you're just going to bomb miserably. It happens all the time where these bookers are like, they have three million followers on Instagram. And I'm like, that's because they eat glass. You know, it's like they don't. It doesn't mean that they're talented. Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, I'm, and they can't do it for an hour exactly without having to start over. When you see these videos, it's them getting it exactly the way they want it. They probably spent uh, uh, twenty four hours on a ten second video. Exactly. Well, we're we're in the moment. We're right there, right now, in front of you, live. Everything is right now, and yeah, it's different. Um, I, but I think uh, uh, sadly, see, I started before there was. I was making VHS tapes, mm-hmm. sending them out to comedy clubs before the internet was what it is today. Yep. So I didn't have, I remember when I first got a website, I had already been doing stand up before people had websites. Yep. And now there's social media. And I'm, and the, you know, everything changes. So I have, to, I have to keep up with what's happening. I don't like it. I don't like that. I have to do a bunch of this other crap. I, want, I wish people just thought, Oh, I love John Reap stand up comedy. I'm going to the show. I don't need him to have yeah. 8 billion followers on YouTube, but I right. know that's what I know. That's what is sort of what the future is happening. It seems yeah, I mean, to be the, that's what's happening. You know, the nice thing is the small democratize it is small D democratization of entertainment where you can have your podcast again country-ish or john and or uh john heffron and heffron and reap, heffron yeah. and reap i'm sorry not john yeah. and heffron it kind of rhymed uh heffron <laughs> and reap those two podcasts check those out so now you can have your own audience so you know you don't need the key holders you don't need all the gatekeepers all these freaking snobs who have no goddamn idea what they're talking about so from that component it's nice uh, social media and and the the internet as it is but on the flip side of that you also have these lazy ass people who do bookings and all this shit who aren't going out to the clubs who don't care if someone's funny. You look at fucking Logan Paul, you know, you have this guy who is boxing all these people, this man who is literally just a troll or, or whatever. I forget the name of his brother, Jake Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Who cares? But they are, they are examples of social media, internet success, and how mm-hmm. does it manifest itself in reality? And at the end of the day, it seems mostly just like a freaking freak show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sadly, the only thing that comedy club uh, owners care about is selling tickets. They don't care about uh, if you're actually that funny. Right. Um, they care about making money. So if a non-funny social media star is going to sell out every club, every every ticket, every seat, they're going to book that guy. And if a very funny headliner who hasn't upped his social media game in a while is not selling tickets, that guy's going to get phased out. Yep. So sadly, uh, us dinosaurs are going to have to learn how to step that shit up. Well, and that's what I was going to talk about next when it comes to the podcast. You have done a great job of now transitioning from, uh, you know, just the original boots on the ground, drive freaking five hours every damn day to go do shows to maybe make 200 bucks and now you do a very successful podcast so you've you've begun to sort of 
transition into that world. And uh, how has that experience been for you? Have, has the audience, has the tangible audience that you sort of accrued over the years on the road come with you and listen to the show? And, and I'm assuming you have new audience constantly or and new people checking it out. Yeah, it's weird, right? Like some of the old school fans um, don't understand the podcast world, especially right. my older fans who are just like, you know, people I'm like I said, I'm 49. So people 40 and up who never really got into the podcast world, the word podcast scares them. They're just right. like, I don't have an iPod. Do I need an iPod for a podcast? <laughs> okay. What's with the pod? And so they don't know. It's just a free Internet show. It's you just a radio it show. It's just yeah. that's what I explained to everyone. I'm like, it's just yeah. radio. I promise you. So I'm, it's a learning curve with my audience that I'm having to do. So I'm having to beat it down their throat all the time. But at the same time, just because I'm with all things comedy network, yeah. Al Madrigal, Bill Burr's thing. And I've been on Joe Rogan and Burt Kreischer and Bobby Lee's stuff and yours. Yeah. And, you know, the more that other people hear this me and they right. go, oh, yeah, I remember John Reap. And then they kind of, you know, one hand washes the other kind of thing. It There's people who only like podcasts who've checked me out and didn't know a whole lot about the stand up. Right. Part. Maybe they only saw me in Eastbound and Down or Harold and Kumar and didn't know that I was a stand up. Yeah. And then they go, holy shit, he's coming to what? So I love getting those new people because they're usually younger and they're, yeah. they're a little bit more excited. And I can impress them and I can do old material that they didn't know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's well, new to them. And, and that's the great thing about the podcast audience. You know, it's such an, it's such an intimate forum. You know, that's why yeah. I've always loved radio. You're right in people's ears. Uh, they, they're around your presence so much unbeknownst to you, but thankful for it. And once you see them in real life, it's, you know, I feel the same way about like the radio legends. If I ever saw like Stern or these people mm -hmm. who you listen to constantly, but you don't really see that much. There's something about it when they come to town where you get to see them. Somebody on acid came up to us after a show and was like, it's great to see you in your meat space. They get to see you in your meat form. And it's cool, man, because yeah, they listen yeah. to you and now they get to actually see you do 100%. what you do on stage. That's right. And so, yeah, it's weird. I've, I even made a video. Um, I'll send this to you because this I think this might be beneficial for other and uh, maybe not for you guys, but like for older guys like me yeah. who are trying to get their old audience to listen to the podcast. I yes. made a video, an instructional how to video with my mom, which is kind of me making fun of people who don't understand yes. podcasts by using my mother who's 73 years old that's um, great. i'll send it to you it's a fun Please. little spoof that we did of an well, instructional how-to video thing you know again podcasts people who people that are listening to this obviously know how to use them and if yeah uh, if you just convince the convince these older folks that it's it's easier than finding the right channel on cable it really 100 and i i mean i i am loving me the pot i didn't know i've started and stopped several podcasts here yeah. and there with john heffern even me and heffern john heffern very funny comedian out yeah, of he michigan was, he was a booker for a long time probably still is i'm not sure he well you're thinking of brian heffern who oh, does I'm the sorry. comedy zones oh, yeah okay is this his brother or totally not related nope, this a whole nother human oh, being i'm so sorry okay no it's fine john heffern john People say it Heffron, but he he likes Heffron. He was he won last comic standing season two. Okay, yeah, he's been on Tonight Show, all kinds of stuff. Yes, he of has course. radio background. He used to work with 
Danny Bonaducci back in the oh, day. Oh, the douche. Yeah. So he's got <laughs> horror stories about the douche. And I am sure. I might have to he, talk to him about those. We have started and stopped a podcast many times. And this one I know with, with him now and country-ish is my new favorite thing. I like it more than leaving my house and doing stand-up and I love doing stand-up and yeah. I'm happy that I'm able to get back out there and do all that stuff. But I love coming here and do it. Cause we have these fun segments that we do. Yeah. Um, we interview funny comedians. That's easy. A lot of guys do that, but we also have, I get residual checks in the mail all the time from, from dumb crap that I've yes. done. Over, I mean, I've done, I've done episodes of good luck, Charlie. I've done episodes of blackish random stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how these amounts are. They're ridiculously low. Dude, I saw you play this game on the, on an Instagram video. You played it. It's fantastic. Yeah. And so I made a game out of it. I, I have people call in and they, if you get whoever uh, you guess the amount of the check, I'll tell you what it's for, how it's airing. People call in and try to guess the amount and whoever is the closest, I give them the check. It's usually $4 and 78 cents. What's the most you've ever gotten and the least you've ever gotten in a residual check? Ever? Yeah. Uh, well, the most I've ever gotten in a residual check was before this podcast. And that was when I was in the Dodge Hemi commercials. What is, yeah. What is that? How much can people expect when they book their next Dodge Hemi commercial? Well, here's how this works, right? And it may have changed since then because the industry is always changing. Yeah, of course. But when I was doing these commercials, um, it works. And I, it was a, called a 13-week cycle. So, for example... Um, I do one Dodge commercial, right? You get paid the very minimum that the Screen Actors Guild can pay you because you're no name okay. and you went and begged for this job. Right. So that would be, you know, that would be like you get 1500 bucks just for showing up. Okay. Then you get residuals and the residuals would depends on where it's airing. Is it just in one market or is it national? Sure. So these are national commercials. And the first week that it airs is the biggest amount of residual check that you will get. Okay. Second week, it goes a little bit less. And third week, a little bit less. Fourth week, a little bit less. Now, if it makes it to week, so the 12th week is the, the lowest that it will be. Okay. If that same commercial happens to keep airing week 13 it starts over oh so you could make some good coin on that if you can have one commercial the same commercial that lasts that is aired many times over 13 weeks that's that's where you would make your money but you know they've caught on to that i don't think they do that so much anymore now they just do a new commercial and it starts over or they lock a guy down but right I remember probably the third or fourth commercial because my agent was smart. Since they didn't lock me down to a contract, he kept upping the price yeah. and he was using my road comedy against them. They would say like, okay, we like the commercial. We want to get him back. Uh, we're going to shoot another one, blah, blah, blah. He'd, go, he'd be like, whoa, 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 hang on now. He's on the road. He's this guy. Your Dodge guy's out there doing college gigs. He's making a lot of money. He's not going to fly back for this. Yeah. I mean, you need to make sure. And then the price would go up. So on the third commercial, I think I remember getting a check in the mail for like $56,000. That's a great day you know, to go just, to the mailbox. Just, just a mailbox check. Um, but the biggest prize was winning last comic standing. That was $250,000. Oh, that's awesome. But the, the residual checks 
that biggest one was probably somewhere around there. Yeah. I really don't remember the exact amount, but I know it was up there. And the smallest one that I could remember was probably uh, three cents. <laughs> that is so indicative. That is so yeah. indicative of the entertainment industry, isn't it? Yeah. There's a bar in Los Angeles and studio. I lived in studio city, LA. There was a bar called residuals. It's still there. Yes. I heard about this place, but apparently they had to stop doing it because people kept, apparently they were, they kept, they, they, couldn't afford to do it anymore. <laughs> yes, right. Because the check, everyone would show up with these measly checks. They changed the name and then they changed it. They just recently changed back to residuals. Oh, that's but hilarious. Would, but you would walk in. If you had the lowest amount in your residual check at the bar, you, they would buy you a round or whatever. And they would put your, your check on the wall. Oh, that's so funny. There are still checks on the wall for zero cents. I mean, people got mailed checks for zero dollars because it was after taxes like before taxes it would have been a nickel and then they but they had to show you the paper trail of it so you would have to get a it's check for zero dollars so ludicrous it's so, so we make ludicrous. a game out of it it's fun I, and i yeah. physically mail these checks to people the worst one i did on air and i and i was playing this game because i was confident that these checks would be small yeah and I open it on. I do it live. I do Bro, you got a life. It's over ten dollars. You have to be like, hey, wow, oh, not nah, this is void. It's void. I just gave one. I mailed one for nine hundred eleven dollars the other day. Bro, that's amazing. <laughs> not because I'm a good guy. It's because I screwed <laughs> up. I didn't know it was going to be that much. I was sure it'd be like you seven dollars. You got to like open them with the steamer. Check it out. Make sure, bro. What if you're giving away another Hemi check? I know. I know. I, I got to be careful. Um, but yes, but I said I would do it. and I did it. But here's another thing. That's too. it. So it pays to listen to country ish. Yeah, it that's pays. true. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And we do um, uh, one of my favorite segments, too, is called member me, where I pull out my old yearbook and I'll read an entry that someone wrote in the back of my yearbook. And if they wrote in the yearbook, stay in touch, call anytime. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> I'll use that against them. I said, yeah. well, you said any time. Now's the time. It's 40 years I, later. Yeah. <laughs> and I call them up and I just shoot the shit. And then I don't tell them till the end that they're on the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm probably breaking some laws here, but yeah, you know. maybe Well, that is wonderful. John Reap, check out his podcast country ish. Before I let you go, I just want to know, like, what is what was your favorite? Because, again, I'm looking at. Working with uh, working on e uh, Eastbound and Down must have been a freaking. Oh my god! Working yeah. on Harold and Kumar, everything else that you've done. What has been some of your favorite acting work? Did was there someone you got to meet that you were like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I'm actually I I'm doing this thing. What, what yeah. was a moment where you realized that I am tr I'm in the fucking entertainment business? This is incredible for a small town kid from Hickory, North Carolina. I'm. I'm going to two things I'm most proud of what's well, a tie. I'm most proud of Harold, my acting ability or whatever you want to say in Harold and Kumar escape Guantanamo Bay or Tig Notaro had a show on one Mississippi on Amazon prime called one Mississippi. Oh, okay. And I was in two episodes of that. And I really, and because Tig is cool and I know Tig. Yeah. And because I wasn't intimidated by anybody. I was able to be really confident in the work and I think it came off really well. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of that. And I'm not saying it's bad, but I don't, I think I could have done better 
was Eastbound and Down because really? I thought you were fantastic in Eastbound and I, Down. It's such a great show. I was a fan of it before I was on it. Oh, and, and so it, that and it, that you got in your own head, maybe I got in my own head. Um, it, it, it was fine. I'm just saying the first couple of days was like I, yeah. I was so nervous because I didn't want to screw up. I was Kenny Powers for Halloween before I got on the show. Dude, that's I was awesome, such a fan. Though. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah, it was the best. I didn't tell him because I didn't want to fanboy out on it. Exactly. But I remember like day one, I was in my trailer. I had mem- memorized this whole script and I didn't want to screw my lines up and and we're shooting. And the first scene where uh, everyone starts improv and I'm like, <laughs> are we allowed to? I didn't know that. And I, and I didn't know where to jump in. And I was a little timid and I screwed up a line and I said, oh, God, I said, I'm sorry. I didn't know we were improv or whatever. And, and it's, but over time, I got more comfortable with it. But it took yeah. me a minute because oh I was God, yeah. because it mattered to me. Of course. And you're no, working uh, with the matter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you're, you know, improvising with these people who are, are number one, fantastic improvisers. But number two, and probably most importantly, already have uh, I'm just going to say the word played together they've already improvised together and all of a sudden you're the new kid in town and they're like come and improvise with us but it's tough to get in the flow that is a hundred percent true so um both of those moments i mean and and sitting with um danny mcbride and doing eastbound and down uh, i that was one show busy moment meeting uh, vince fawn meeting uh brad paisley flying on his private jet how's that how's that paisley jet it's great. No one fully I mean, understands how rich these country dudes are. They are like next. Like Larry, the cable guy, for example, has a jet. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Uh, Foxworthy, all those guys have jets. And I remember uh, Brad Paisley saying, like, I want you to come see me do a show in Tempe and we'll, we'll work together for this Netflix thing I want to do. I go, all right. That's I said, awesome. well, let me get a flight. He goes, no, just meet me at this airport. We'll take my jet. And I'm on this jet. I'm like, uh, this is the lie. I thought first, I thought it was cool when I was in first class. Yeah, dude. And then here we are on a private jet. So um, wow. it's, I'm very thankful for, for everything. Um, and I'm, I'm happy, um, more than happy to be, be doing this podcast and other podcasts and awesome. I want to keep growing it and keep doing it. And let me know well, if there's anything I can else I could do for you, man. Cause this, this, this has been a blast for me, dude. It's been so great to talk to you. Check out everything that John is up to. I'm sure that you'll be traveling now that the, uh, the, the world begins to open up. So uh, check your local Google for yeah. any John Reap shows. If he is in your local, if he's going to a comedy club near you or a theater near you, I'll be in Bloomington, Minnesota, April 29th through May 1st. That's right. That's Minneapolis. That's fantastic. I'm going up there, dude. Check it out. Be safe in Minneapolis. I have a lot of friends out there and, and you know, thank the people need to laugh out there Yes, uh, because there is some heavy, heavy stuff going on in this country. That's very important. But we yes, also have to is. remember, we have to laugh a little bit so we can keep on fighting for uh, justice in uh, in our lives. So, John Reap, check out uh, Heffron and Reap and check out the podcast country ish. Thank you all so much for listening to this LPN show. I hope everyone is being safe and having fun out there and doing the best you can. Keep on trucking along, everyone. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.